Welcome to The Heath Barnes Show, bringing you interviews and insights to grow your business from some of today's leading voices in the mortgage industry. The Heath Barnes Show is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Heath Barnes. Welcome to another episode of Mortgages Reimagined. I'm your host, Heath Barnes, and I'm extremely excited to have Mr. Phil Bonello on our uh, podcast today. I know it's not about uh, mortgages, but more importantly, it's about cryptocurrency. And I've gotten a lot of requests uh, from our listeners to do an episode on cryptocurrency because most of you well, so not most of you, some of you know I'm into cryptocurrency. And so the reason I brought Phil on is because he is, in my opinion, one of the forefathers of cryptocurrency because of his background. So Phil, my relationship with Phil is uh, my nephew, Ben Landon and Phil were uh, our, our best friends. And Phil has a great track record of working at most recently Grayscale. And if you haven't heard of Grayscale, Grayscale is, I think, the largest holder of cryptocurrencies in the world. Phil could probably tell us more about that. But anyways, Phil, I think it's uh, ironic that we're having this podcast just a day or so after Jack Dorsey stepped down from Twitter and decided just to focus on block. I mean, square. I mean, block. (laughs) And, uh, you know, here's a quote that uh, Jack says, I don't think there's anything more important in my life to work on. And I don't think there's anything more enabling for people around the world. And what he's speaking about is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. So welcome, Phil. I appreciate you being on the show. Love to hear how you got into cryptocurrency. Yeah, thanks for having me, Heath. I'm excited to be here. I've, I've been hopping around the cryptocurrency space for about six years now. So I... I was working at IBM out of college, worked on predictive maintenance systems. So basically, you know, having a sensor on an industrial machine and it would tell you when that machine was going to go down. I became really interested in machine to machine communication. And then at some point I was on a message board on the internet and I happened upon this thing called Ethereum, you know, and Ethereum essentially is uh, a distributed network. It's, it's a little bit like Bitcoin, but it, it allows for more flexibility in, in what you can do and what you can build on it. And okay. I kind of fell down the rabbit hole, started some independent research trading, later worked for a research firm called Masari, joined uh-huh. a hedge fund uh, called Ikigai Asset Management. And then later, as you said, I uh, joined Grayscale Investments to uh, lead their research efforts. And so Grayscale is the largest asset manager in crypto. Uh, I think they have like 60 billion under management at this point. Wow. Which is just, it, you know, when I joined, it was 2 billion. And yeah, it was. A year and a half, it just exploded. And in, 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 in 2017, some of our research shows they had 200 million in 2017. So I don't know any organization that's gone from 200 million to 44 billion or 60 billion. So that's amazing. So could, go ahead. Yeah, I think I think they're the fastest growing asset manager of all time. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and so you you left Grayscale to kind of open up your own quote unquote hedge fund, right? Called Plain Text Capital. Like that's at your age, and you know, I think were you thirty years old, Ben? That's a, a pretty aggressive 
thing to do, but you know, I would do, do the same thing, man. Tell me how that came about. Yeah. You know, I was at this hedge fund in 2018, 2019, and the crypto world was just not the same at that point, right? It was just Bitcoin and Ethereum really. Right. And I was really interested in doing all sorts of research and making all sorts of investments, but there weren't any investments to make. Right. And so then basically in the past year, we've seen the explosion of DeFi, decentralized finance for your mm-hmm. listeners, which is you know basically borrowing, lending, exchange, structured products, derivatives, basically the reimagining of all finance, but in a decentralized fashion. Yeah. Um, and then we've seen uh, kind of Web3, which is it, it's a, a large encompassing sector, but it could be uh, distributed storage. So really disrupting the AWSs of the world. We have things like shared compute. We have NFTs now and content monetization. There are just like so many different sectors that you, that are investable. And it, it made me want to get back into the investment side of the business and uh, you know put together a thesis, put together a strategy and really, really get out there. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, what do you say to the people? I'm sure it happens to you as well. They're like, I think I'm too late. I'm too late to, to investing in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency. Like, what would you say to someone like that? Yeah. I mean, I think you're definitely not like people aren't too late to learn, right? I, from an investment standpoint, this is a very volatile market, very cyclical. And so it's it's tough to time correctly, but it's definitely not too late to learn. And I'd say, probably one to 5% of the world is actually pretty knowledgeable on, on crypto at this point. Right. I think, I think we're still in kind of the 1997, 98 area. If, if we're comparing it to the, you know, dot com boom. Yeah. Uh, and so there's still, there's still a lot to learn and a lot to build, right. The, right. the user interfaces, the user experience just isn't there yet. And we haven't seen adoption at scale, but it's, it's, it's definitely coming. Yeah, for sure. You know, the one thing I hear from most people when uh, they hear I'm in cryptocurrency and they don't understand if they're like, explain Bitcoin to me, explain Ethereum, like, what do I need to know about cryptocurrency? And most of my listeners, you know, they have the same question, you know, they like, they have some money to possibly invest and they just don't know how. And like you said, you know, it's never too late to learn. Like, what, what would you uh, advise them? Like, what would you say to someone that says, hey, man, explain it to me? Well, yeah, I think there are so many different parts to explain at this point, right? There's Bitcoin, which is a currency. There's uh, Ethereum, which is like a, a development platform, a development network. And then you have applications, right? And, and these applications operate without any central authority. And I think yeah. that's what's really important. So, but from a learning standpoint, I would point them to resources like Masari. Masari is a really good research dashboard. They put out content all the time. They focus on all different sectors. They have, yeah, it's it's a it's a really good platform. They're really knowledgeable over there. Yeah, um, but yeah, it just it, it does take time to just kind of get your get your feet wet and get your hands dirty. Yeah, totally. You know, when I I got into cryptocurrency at the beginning of COVID, and I mean, I didn't know anything about cryptocurrency and several people uh, said something to me about it. And like, I mean, I started teaching myself through YouTube and I'm like, not that 
computer literate and have, you know, like deep in the middle of DeFi now. Like, yeah. you know, for our listeners that don't understand, like what we mean when we say de- DeFi or de- decentralized finance, you can literally, let's say you own, you know, $500,000 worth of Ethereum, you can borrow up to 80% loan to value and get this at a rate of less than 1%. And it's like it's decentralized, meaning there's there's no one that's going to tell you no, right? And so, how do you think DeFi will change the crypto industry moving forward in the next you know year or two or three? Yeah, so I think that your example is a really good one. One of my part one of my partners came from J.P. Morgan, and his aha moment was basically when he saw lending platforms in DeFi, right? Because yeah. even at JP Morgan, one of his clients with a billion dollars, and let's say he, his client has a billion dollars and he wants to take out a $100 million loan, he has to file all this paperwork, proof of assets. You know, it's a, it's a big ordeal and it you know takes yeah. a long yeah. time. And that's someone with a billion dollars in, in JP Morgan, right? And like you said, with DeFi, you don't have to ask anyone's permission. You can just go in there and as long as you have the collateral, you can take out a loan, right? I think that's a, it was a great example. DeFi to me is sort of the necessary infrastructure for the rest of commerce to exist in crypto, right? Mm -hmm. So when we think of finance, isn't like a sexy thing, typically uh, in a day-to-day life, right? You're not, you're not like just going on. And I mean, now I think it's become a little bit uh, bigger a deal recently with speculation and like, you know, meme stocks and stuff like that. But like borrowing and lending and structured products, like that's not an everyday tool for everyday people, but that is backend infrastructure, I think, right? And will support uh, commerce generally, right? Like that's really what finance is about, supporting commerce. And so I think we'll start to see all sorts of commerce be built on top of DeFi and DeFi is like those liquidity rails. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think what, if if I was going to do an analogy, it's like, if you want to get in the finance business, like it, with the stock exchange and loaning out money, you've got all these regulations. But if you want to be your own bank in the crypto industry, you could literally, you could be your own bank and loan out your own money and make insane returns. And I don't think people understand, I don't think people understand or have seen this side of cryptocurrency like like you and I have, but I think it'll the banks are definitely nervous about it. And so, I mean, I think for people that say, you know, I'm, I'm too late, I think, you know, moving forward, no. No, so, I, it's still <laughs> very early for sure. Yeah. So one thing about, so I talked to Phil maybe a year, a year and a half ago. And I don't know if you remember that conversation, Phil, but your advice to me at the <laughs> time was, I was like, what should I do, Phil? And you're like, 50% Bitcoin. 25% Ethereum and then 25% like altcoins. And man, I wish I would have listened to your advice. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm taking your advice now, but I have changed it. I'm curious for people that are listening, like how much Bitcoin do you think they should have? How much Ethereum, how much altcoins for someone that's actually maybe dabbling in it? And so. Yeah, absolutely. I Definitely. This is an investment advice. So, you know, so I'm just saying, yeah, just a caveat there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I think, I think they, they just uh, lie at different levels in the risk spectrum, right? Bitcoin's been around the longest. It's the largest market cap asset. I think 
it's reasonable to assume that it has the highest probability of being around, you know, uh, in the right. future. Ethereum's, you know, kind of second oldest, like major crypto, second highest by market cap. You know, I, I then like think that's the second or the second least risky, like it's the most right. conservative. And then, you know, I think the it's you certainly can make outsized returns dabbling in kind of the alternative assets in crypto. But it's just it's it's hard to weed through exactly what is what is good out there. Right. And right. so I think I, I usually steer steer people towards the more conservative end of crypto until they're really, really comfortable with what's going on. And they've been through some market cycles. Right. I think crypto is it's insanely volatile, which is great on the upside. Right. It's that's that's why a lot of people love it. But it, yeah. it's also pretty brutal on the downside if you don't have a risk management system in place. So I think it's just important to to have that mentality, have a risk risk mentality. Yeah. For those people that say, you know, it's just too volatile. Right. And I mean, what do you how do you how do you respond to that when people say that's too volatile? Bitcoin is or the crypto market? Yeah, well, I think. Certain people have to deal with it differently. Some people they should maybe dabble and get in one percent of their net worth, and and then if if that disappears, they're not going to be super upset, right? But then as they continue to learn, like that one percent might turn into five percent, and then they're they're going to be incentivized to learn more and dig in more, right? And then others like people who are young and you know can take on more risk. That volatility is opportunity, really. Yeah. Um, if if you if you have a if you have a really good understanding of a project, that volatility on the upside is really rewarding, right? Like I, I personally right. love the volatility, but you have to have a risk management system in place. Like I personally really like the methodology of trend following, and and so you know p- people have different methods for implementing trend following, but a simple method is just taking two moving averages on a chart. And when one crosses above the other, you buy. And when it crosses back below, you sell, right? And it's like a very simple, unambiguous methodology for managing risk. Okay. Uh, Trend so, following, okay? Yeah, yeah. Just okay. it's very simple, but it's, uh, it's something that has been used, you know, for 150 years now. Right. Um, and it, it's not, it's, yeah, it's, it's no, there are no, there's no magic there, but it, right. it, will, it will make sure that you don't lose all your money. Yeah, when somebody told me, you know, yes, Bitcoin and the crypto uh, currency market is volatile, as would the stock market be if it was open 24 7, 365. And, you, you know, the stock market's governed, you know, a lot of it's governed by the SEC and they have so much in leverage you can take out. You know, in, in the cryptocurrency, there's no one governing and you could take out an insane amount of leverage, which causes all of this volatility. And, as of late, they brought out the you know uh, futures contract as an in a, um, as an EFT, which is you know makes the market even crazier. But back to your point on the you know the market cycles, can you go through like for the listeners like what, what there's a every year there's a four year cycle? What that's about? Yeah, so some people will talk about a four year cycle relative to the Bitcoin having. So for those not familiar, Bitcoin has a emission schedule of Bitcoin and every four years that emission gets cut in half. And so people speculate that that causes a, a kind of a new bull market. Right. I don't know if that's true, but I do know that that we have gone through multiple multiple kind of boom and bust cycles in crypto. 
And it's been really educational to be around for those, right? Because you experience this insane volatility in the matter of years, whereas in traditional markets, it's more like, you know, a decade plus where you see these boom bust cycles. Right. Um, yeah. And so I'm not sure, you know, exactly how to explain it, but I think, I think a good way, a good way to think about it is like new technology comes out, which creates a story and creates buzz. And then that creates pr- price increases, which creates more buzz. And then new stories come out around those price increases. And it's kind of a positive feedback loop until the prices have become so, so apart from fundamentals or like a rational story right. that you know, they start to collapse and there aren't any new marginal buyers. Yeah. And so, so that's why I, you know, that's why I like trend following, right? Because like, if things are going up, hands off the wheel, let it go up, you know, but if, if, if they're going down, you know, same thing, hands off the wheel. All right. I, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong here, but let it go down. I'm going to, I'm just going to play like, wait for this to settle itself out. Yeah. Cause it's a very cyclical market. Yeah. And so is that the main strategy you use when you're investing is trend following? Are there other strategies you like to use for those people that like want to get into cryptocurrency and want to learn about it? It's a very, I'd say it's a very uh, easy risk management strategy. And then something else that, you know, I like to keep track of is you mentioned the leverage in the market in crypto. So there's a product called the perpetual swap in crypto. And the perpetual swap has a funding rate. It's basically okay. the financing rate to hold a long or a short position. Okay. So when, when you're long a perpetual swap contract, sometimes when the market's super over leveraged, you'll have to pay 150% APR just to hold that long position. And to me, that's a signal that there's way too much demand for those levered products yeah, and you probably want to you know tread carefully. Yeah. Same on the but same on the short side. Sometimes the funding gets negative, and the and by taking a long position, you'll get paid to to do that. That's typically a signal that you probably want to be in the market, right? So it's basically it's it's the idea of like take what the market is paying you to take. Yeah. And so when financing is super high, you probably want to be careful. When it's super low, you might want to be you know a little more aggressive. Yeah. Can you talk about the different sectors right now that are in the crypto crypto space? Yeah. Um, what those look like? Yeah, sure. And so, you know, I think you said that you really got into crypto after COVID or when COVID started. Correct. I think a lot of people kind of jumped in after, you know, $4 trillion were printed. And I think that relates <laughs> very well to very well to Bitcoin because Bitcoin has a fixed supply throughout mm-hmm. its, it's that there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is, that's in contrast to the ever-changing and ever-growing money supply in, in basically all countries, right? Central right. banks have their hands on the wheel and they're, you know, they're taking us for a ride. And so I think a lot of the Bitcoiners, they're interested in Bitcoin because it's this money that can't be controlled by a central authority. So I think yeah. that's, that's like one main and big area, which is just currency, right? Or, or it's like a money. And then as we talked about, DeFi is a, is a huge sector that has grown and that covers anything from exchanges. So like there are basically P2P or person-to-person exchanges. Again, right. no central party that is coordinating that exchange. 
person-to-person lending, structured products, derivatives. So I, th- I, I really think like a lot of people use Coinbase today, right? Or they use Gemini or whatever it may be. You can start to do basically everything that you do on Coinbase or Gemini or FTX on these decentralized platforms. It's a little, the user experience is, you know, lacking a little bit. At times it can be expensive, but, but we're, we're moving in that direction. And then, and then I think the final area, and it's a big, it's a big area, but I mentioned that, you know, DeFi is kind of a building block for the rest of commerce. And I think we're starting to see the rest of that commerce be built out. I think a big part of it is just content creation. So I've, I mentioned NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens. Mm-hmm. All, all that means is that there's a unique signature tied to a unique item, right? Yeah. It's like having a signed baseball card or a signed basketball or something. That is like the only one of those, right? And it had been duplicated. Like it's like the fraudulent with like what you said on a baseball card, like the there's no way to create fraud with an NFT, right? So yeah, I mean the digital signature is the that unique digital signature. It right. can't be it can't be forged, and so that digital signature has to point to something, right? It has to point to a piece of content, and that content is now being stored in in many cases on decentralized storage uh, networks, which I think is really cool. So you start to see these these different pieces of crypto fitting together which is very cool. And then, you know, streaming, streaming music, for instance, artists have notoriously been underpaid, like on these streaming platforms. And yeah. so now artists can launch NFTs, which are music NFTs, right? So you, and they can, they can, they can create their distribution schedule, right? They can make one, one song that only gets sold to one person. They can create wow. a thousand songs that get sold to a thousand people. They can create infinite songs, but that that distribution experience is from the artist to the user, not mm. from the artist to a label to a you know streaming platform to the user, and uh-huh. so they they own that user experience and that ownership experience, which I think is really important. And we, I think we'll see all sorts of media, all sorts of content creation be disrupted. Yeah, you know it's 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 really giving the power back to the people. And you talked earlier about, you know, inflation and it's when you when you started talking about it in, in Bitcoin and have a limited supply. I remember about 12, 10 or 12 years ago, I just happened to jump in the, the cab in New Orleans, New Orleans and w- with Ron Paul, my wife and I literally total luck. And I like didn't know really know him very well, but we got into a conversation. I'll never forget this about the the debt and and he told me again this is like 10 or 12 years ago he said the only way that we will ever get out of debt is we will print our way out of debt which is the same way most countries end up paying their debt off like in i don't see us being the world reserve currency in 10 years, you know, what will be the probably maybe some type of cryptocurrency. Right? Yeah. I, think, I mean, so Ron Paul is like a, you know, he's a legend in the Bitcoin community, right? Because he, he had that, that foresight to, to, to basically say, yeah, you know, the only way that that countries get out of debt is to debase the currency that denominates that debt. 
Yeah. That, that's what that's what every country has done throughout history. Every government has done throughout history, really. And yeah, so it'll be interesting, like whether it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or some new crypto or I think some some people talk about central bank digital currencies as being the potential way to take over. But a central bank digital currency is no different than any sort of fiat currency. The reason being, it's still controlled by the central bank, right? And so since it's still controlled by the central bank, it will be printed or the supply will be expanded in the same way that currencies are right now. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's also important for the uh, listeners to talk about, you're talking about uh, currencies. You know, I look at uh, most of the cryptocurrencies, not really as a currency, but more as assets, meaning you can use them to buy things like you can use Bitcoin or Ethereum. But, you know, the ultra wealthy in the world, what they're looking for is uh, trophy assets. A trophy asset is something that's always going to go up in value. You can borrow against it. There's nothing, nothing's going to impair it. And so whenever someone says, hey, man, should I, you know, you know, how, how can I buy stuff with this? And I'm like, think of it as a savings account that you will have forever. You should never take, you know, take it out of the market. Just, you know, learn about it. Like you were saying, in crypto, learning is, you know, makes you powerful and it also will help you in your investments uh, moving forward. So anyways, I just feel like it's the the future. uh, Yeah. And and I, I think, some people take issue with the currency part of part of the cryptocurrency, right? Yeah. And they get stuck on, well, I can't spend it here. I can't spend it there. Or I don't believe that Bitcoin will take over as, you know, the global reserve currency. And that's all fair, but that's only one part of crypto, right? Like I said, there's DeFi and then there are assets that represent DeFi. And those are more equity-like assets than they are a currency. And then NFTs are more art than they are currency, right? And so, right. so the currency aspect is just one, you know, one portion of the the whole story. Yeah. And you can, I think you can now borrow against NFTs and decentralized platforms. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's like the, the, people say, you know, the, it's the, what's, what's the, what's it backed by? Like Bitcoin, what's it backed by? What would you say when they say it's like, what's it backed by, you know, Bitcoin as a reason why they wouldn't buy it? Well, it's backed by social consensus, right? Everybody agrees that it has value and it has, you know, for what, 12 years now. So, and that's the same, to be frank, that's the same reason that the US dollar has value. People believe in it as a, as a unit of account, as a, a medium of exchange, right? And if they didn't, then they would sell it and there would, you know, the, the price of dollars would go down, right? Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think we are seeing that. Frankly, people are selling their dollars for speculative assets because those assets go up relative to the dollar. And uh, yeah, so I think it's it's just a uh, social consensus. And I think some people will will push back on that and just be like, "Well, that sounds like a Ponzi scheme." It's like, yeah. well, money is a Ponzi scheme that doesn't that doesn't you know die. Basically. Yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a Ponzi scheme is every time they churn that printing press. I mean, think about this. If you if if the if we were not not the reserve currency, like you don't see your dollar going down in value. You can't print 30% of all currency that's in circulation in a year without it going down in value. 
Like yeah. just, and, and we're being told inflation is only 6%. Yeah. That's what we're being told. Yeah. It's because yeah. the, the CPI doesn't include investment assets, right? It doesn't include the price of, of real estate. It includes rent, but it doesn't include, you know, it doesn't include investment assets, which that that is what appreciates because yeah. the people who have money, they don't just say, oh, now I have more money. I'm going to buy a ton more milk. They say, oh, I have more money. I'm going to go buy more investments um, yeah. to, to compound my returns. Yeah. If they, if they came out and said, hey, inflation is really 15%, like people would be like, what? <laughs> yeah. right? And so just for our viewers, the listeners, like we, it, it, just on a simple basis for inflation, uh, if inflation is 6%, but it's actually higher, let's say it's 10%. What does that mean for their stock portfolio? Yeah, so it's the. I think it's you have to start with like what's the definition of inflation, right? And for me, I look at I look at strictly the expansion of the money supply, right? I want I want to outperform the expansion of the money supply because otherwise, basically, I, I feel like I'm getting robbed, right? And so. I think we saw 25, 26% of all dollars ever printed, printed in the last year and a half, right? And so to yeah. me, that is the true measure that I, that I kind of index against. Mm-hmm. And so when you think of it in that term, you have to outperform 26% to make sure that you're not, you're not losing money. And when, oh, you, wow. look at, you, when you look at equities, you, like I think they're up you know, 20 five to 35% or something in the last year and a half. It's, I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the number, right? Because it's, it's, it's not about, it's not about the numerator. It's about the denominator and the denominator is getting debased. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I think every, everyone's looking at their stock stock portfolio and it's gone up like 25 or 30%. And so they don't really care. But, you know, what they don't look at is, okay, well, tell me this. How how is it that half the nation was unemployed and we immediately had a correction, right? You know, that's when I started listening to some YouTubes by Michael Saylor, who, those of you that don't know Michael Saylor, he is the CEO of MicroStrategies and really the first person first company to start, you know, buying Bitcoin, you know, as, as a hedge against what was, what was happening. So how do you think the, that's going to affect the market moving forward, corporations getting into you taking their dollars and buying Bitcoin as a, as a, as a hedge against inflation or to put their dollars in, how's that going to affect the market? I mean, I think it's a, it's a huge, yeah, it's a huge <laughs> positive for it. You know, on what time frame that happens, I'm not sure. We've started to see it happen, right? I think Square started to buy Bitcoin for their balance sheet. MicroStrategy has basically, their entire balance sheet is, is Bitcoin. I forget some of the other ones. I think Mass Mutual purchased some Bitcoin for their balance sheet. Yeah. So yeah, the, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a wave that's just beginning, I think. And Crypto is a small asset class relative to, to how much wealth there is in the world, right? And uh, yeah, I, I think as more as more businesses really start to get into using Bitcoin and using crypto as a reserve and as an investment asset, it's uh, it's going to be a pretty big deal. Yeah, moving forward. Well, man, I uh, appreciate the time you spent with me today. I'm sure I'd love to have you back in the future, man. Having somebody like yourself and 
if for those of you, I'll put his uh, information in in the uh, show notes. But for those of you that want, might want to invest in uh, cryptocurrency, Phil's done a great job so far with his with his hedge fund. And so, anyways, I'll put his information in there and appreciate your time. And anyways, how would people be able to contact you if they're not uh, in the show notes? Yeah, sure. Uh, Twitter is usually a really good. You know, that's kind of where crypto happens. A lot of a lot of stuff happens on Twitter. Uh, so. My Twitter is just Phil J Bonello, simple enough, you know, and and then email. So I, I you have my email and yeah, and so yeah, thanks for having me on. It's great talking crypto, and would love to come back some other time. Yeah, thanks. I uh, want to acknowledge you for being curious. You know, one of the things I learned about you is what got you into crypto is you were curious and you're a constant learner. So I acknowledge you for that. And man, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where, where you're going to be in 10 years, man. I'm, I'm going to be watching you. So thanks for being <laughs> on today, Phil. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, Heath. All right. And there you have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the notes at heathbarns.com. And you can find out more about all the ways we can help you at heatbarns.com. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk next time.